It's the Bloom Pod, and I'm Taylor Onion. This week's guest is Will Baggett. Will is a speaker, an author, and an all-around great human being. His book, which he wrote with Ty Brown, is titled The Blueprint for a Successful Career, and it helps readers navigate their professional journeys. Will's speaking endeavors with Executive Image help his audiences understand the ABCs of professional conduct. Please enjoy Episode 6. I did some digging as I have been doing with my guests. Um, and there's a ton of stuff that I want to touch on. So, uh, I mean, we're talking college football playoff. You started off in, in athletic training, I saw, and then made the jump to the playoff at some point and also an author. So I'm going to kick it to you, Will Baggett, and have you kind of go through and, and introduce yourself and, and maybe walk us through your career and some of those different pieces to this point. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for the uh, opportunity, Taylor. It's a pleasure to be on with you. I love what you've been uh, doing here at the Bloom Pod. It's um, definitely a time to create and be creative. So uh, people like you are really just taking advantage of it. So thanks for the opportunity. I'm really, uh, yeah. really thankful to be here. Um, I yeah, so um, I appreciate you doing the digging. Um, it's definitely has been a, a fun ride thus far and looking forward to what's to come. Uh, yeah, I started off um, as a, uh, I guess, lowly grad, well, lowly intern in the strength and conditioning department when I was at Ole Miss as a, uh, as a student. I'm uh, what you call a high school has-been, so I didn't play any college sports. I played a little intramural in college. You know, that's pretty much it. That's kind of the extent of my athletic career collegiately. But, yeah, I spent some time there. I met a great mentor when I was there at Ole Miss, and uh, he really kept me get started in the uh, sports business field. Went from there to the um, went to Baylor University to get my graduate degree, and uh, I was a grad assistant at the American Football Coaches Association. I doubled as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, so my mornings were started maybe like maybe five o'clock, and maybe not end until maybe ten or eleven at night. You know, between yes. going to, to coach and then going to work and then going to class. And I loved every every bit of, every minute of it. And, uh, my nickname around campus was um, P Diddy. They said I had my hands in everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it, but it wasn't always the, you know, the, the sexy stuff either. I mean, that included picking up trash at the football camps, um, selling concessions at the softball games, uh, programs, women's basketball games. So you name it, I did it. And it was really because I didn't have that background experience as a student athlete. So I wanted to really immerse myself in everything I could administratively, uh, physically, mentally, whatever it took to really you know, just get as far ahead of the curve as I could. So yeah, after uh, AFCA, I went to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl when I was an intern and um, in, in events in football ops. After that, I spent a couple years IMG College Licensing, a uh, collegiate licensing company. Uh, they recently got that out by Learfield, so I spent some time there and then um, and then jumped to the uh, college football playoffs. So uh, it's definitely, again, been a fun ride. And in between there, at some point in time, I wrote a book with my mentor, uh, Ty Brown, who was with the AFCA at the time and now is leading the One Question Leadership podcast and works with the athletic director, uh, you and D1 Ticker. And uh, he had a huge impact on my life. So we wrote our book a few years ago. Uh, I still have a good five-star rating, knock on wood. So that means we're paying people really well. I'm joking. Um, but yeah, but no, it's just really been fun. And, um, and even since that time, I have done some workshops with professional presidents and uh, with the executive image and emerging executives platform. And I uh, really just enjoyed that. I really love presenting. And uh, it's a true passion of mine, a labor of love. So that's kind of yeah. where we are. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, we love five-star ratings on this show. So we want to keep those up there. Absolutely. Uh, when, when you were at the, it's the American Football Coaches Association, AFCA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you were there, you said you were an assistant coach. So what is that, what does the organization 
do? I mean, it's not like a, it's not a collegiate team, so to speak, right. but what are they, what's kind of the, the mission they're charged with? Yeah, yeah. So a um, couple of uh, things there with the AFCA. So it stands for American Football Coaches Association. And it's really just, we're just an office of about 20 of us there in Waco, Texas, right across the street from Baylor University. And that's where we uh, service uh, about 12,000 football coaches nationally, internationally from the high school wow. ranks up through college and even professional. And it all led up to an annual convention we had every year in January. It still goes on to this day. Um, but yeah, so that was just a, a, a kind of a hub and platform for coaches education because coaches learn from coaches. You know, they don't necessarily have a degree in coaching. I mean, you get pedagogy and teaching, what have you, but you learn from other coaches. You've learned the X's and O's. You learn all these other aspects. So we wanted to make sure we were building the total coach. We had character development. We had X's and O's. We had personal development, professional development. And those were kind of the, the tiers that we tried to operate off, or the pillars rather, that we tried to build our programming off of that led to the annual convention every year. And typically the annual convention is about three and a half days. And again, about seven, 8,000 coaches would make that trip. And um, yes, yeah, so I was um, a grad assistant in that regard. And then while I was working there, I was an assistant coach um, when I was in the strength and conditioning department at Baylor. Okay. So they were, they were they were separate, but they, was, they were so close in proximity. I literally leave the weight room and walk down the street to AFCA and walk back to the weight room, then walk across the street to campus and go to class. And then um, I'd ride my bike home. You know, it was, all, it was right there in that tight Waco community. So definitely some of the most uh, fun times of my life. And um, really, where I developed and um, into what was uh, what was able to be accomplished up to this day. But I had a lot, a lot of help, and I, I'd be remiss to not, you know, shout those people out that really uh, helped me get to where I am today. And um, yeah, so that's 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 the key. Yeah, that's awesome. And then eventually, of <coughs> course, all of this has led now to the college football playoff. Which, how many years has that been in existence now? Yeah, so the CFP has been in existence since the two 2000- thousand. 14 regular season, 2015 okay. championship was the uh, first year of its existence. I should know that my since my AD is you, the former former COO probably. Um, uh, so in and you haven't been there of course since 2014, but you've been with the CFP for coming up on three years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, definitely a great opportunity there. But yeah, I just have to you know kind of leave it to uh, the leadership there if they you know want to comment on it further. But definitely a great opportunity. Um, definitely a, you know huge annual event. It's really special for student athletes, and um, it's just been just a, just a super fun ride. So it's been it's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as far as the Peach Bowl goes, yeah. I think that's now when you were there at the Peach Bowl, that was before the kind of bowl uh, as as it's set up yeah. now as the CFP. So what was that like? Um, as an intern, especially, I mean, were you, was it one of those roles again, where you're picking up trash? Are you, you know, was it more operations based kind of, where were you at the, at the Peach Bowl? Yeah. yeah so that's kind of where I developed one of my other skills and that's, um, snack procure- procurement. So I would actually go buy the snacks for the office and uh, get those stocked up. So I continue that throughout that, throughout my career because I think it's very important as a professional to have that thing that you do administratively, but also that and also. And so I did you know, operations, but and also I was the snacks coordinator or the chief snack you know guy or whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. So I think doing those small jobs is really uh, really really important, but. To answer your question, the uh, Peach Bowl opportunity was unique in how it came through because uh, we found this folder after I had gotten an internship, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was called Friends of the Family. And in that, I found a chain and one of my, my coworkers had found the folder. I'm like, what's this? And she said, hey, I just found like your profile. You almost didn't get the job here. I'm like, um, okay, thanks. <clears throat> she said, yeah, she said, here, let's check this out. So I read through it. 
And basically, I was on the verge of getting the you know prototypical phone interview and just being sent on my way, right? It, you know, kind of check that box. But one of my mentors, uh, Jamil Northcutt, who's now VP of Major League Soccer, actually had sent an email on my behalf, and it was in that chain. And once uh, one of the Peach Bowl leadership um, guys, once they once they saw it, they were like, okay, hey give this guy a second look, you know, Jamil Northcutt just freestyle. So that speaks to the power relationships. And if that had not gone through, if I had not had, had that support, I've never gotten that opportunity. So um, that just speaks to how special that is. But that was actually the first, very first year, 2014, of the, the system as we know it right now. So it was cool to kind of be in that mix, although the Peach Bowl that year wasn't a semifinal. <clears throat> which is cool to see like the documentation coming through and what the new structure was and just being in the mix of it. So that was just a really exciting time. And um, I still keep in contact with uh, people there to this day. And uh, that's kind of where I just kind of cut my teeth in, um, you know, credentialing and operations. And uh, yeah, so that was a really, really fun time in that 2014 season. Yeah, that's awesome. I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize, and I, I used to work in event management for athletics with Holly Stalkup, actually, who is now uh, director of stadium, stadium ops at the CFP. Um, but a lot of people don't realize all that goes into the, the actual game day experience, right? So you're thinking, of course, the student athletes mm -hmm. do their time. They've got practice. They've got weights, you know, academics, of course, all these things that build up to it. But you, what I think most people don't realize is all the behind the scenes of the marketing and the event management staff and the field staff and the security and all, you know, all, I mean, it's, it is truly a, a remarkable thing for anybody who can, you know, sit in those seats and, and get those events to go off smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. And the fun thing, like you mentioned, is, you know, from the ticket takers to the security to the people that are serving concessions, you know, we're in this ecosystem where we depend on everyone, right, for the game day experience to be what it is. And so that's where I like to spend a lot of my time, you know, if I'm at an event or at a game, I think I'll talk to those people, the people that are, you know, walking and, and sweeping up uh, any debris that may be on the ground. Because in most cases, you know, people may not grow, grow up. Uh, saying this is what they wanted to do, right? But being in that atmosphere, being around the fans, seeing the excitement, you know, they play a critical role in that experience by, by keeping the atmosphere or keeping the environment clean and uh, and having a, a positive attitude and, and serving people the right way. I mean, that's one of my experiences I had when I was in New Orleans. Uh, most recently, I met a guy named Hector who worked at a restaurant in the hotel. And Hector, me and him became best friends. And he just really felt like he was a part of the experience because of the way that he was treated. And, you know, he liked the little sticker, you know what I mean? A little pit, a pen to walk, to walk around with. And they take pride in those things. So I think it's really, really, really important to um, make sure that we're appreciating everyone that contributes to the experience. And the way I kind of look at it is if, um, you walk past the you know security person and you don't greet them and you don't say hello to them. Well, if someone comes in there that wants to you know wreak some havoc and a, and a bad actor comes in, then why would they feel empowered to do their job and make sure that they're stopping that and not letting the event get interrupted? So it's all about having that empowerment and making people feel a part of it because they are a part of it and they're critical to the success of it. So that's a that's a soft spot for me. So I really appreciate you uh, bringing that up. That's that's really special. Yeah, a hundred percent. Which which goes back to again, as you mentioned, the power of um, relationships and and networking things like that. So I want to talk a little bit about your book. A, how it came to be. I mean, was that part of the plan the whole time? Like, oh yeah, I think I'll you know I'll do all these things that relate to football, but also I'm gonna write a book. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things where 
after I left the AFCA and I began my internship with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, I really felt that I'd been really, really well prepared. I felt I was ahead of the curve. I was reaching out, building relationships, sending handwritten thank you notes, doing all those things, things that I just wasn't aware of prior to because I didn't have that experience. I mean, my parents are um, as, as good as gold, but they're blue collar, you know, from, you know, down home Mississippi. They just didn't know the environment that I was going into. All they taught me was, hey, work hard, treat people nice. And that has worked out well. There's also some more tactical things that I had to learn and acquire in order to, you know, um, have an, an opportunity to uh, to be successful in this industry. And so uh, when I got to the Peach Bowl, uh, there was a little bit of dead, dead period from my kickoff games until the actual bowl game. And so I reached out to my mentor, Ty, from the AFCA and said, hey, man. Um, I think we got something. I mean, you really did a great job preparing me, and I feel like I'm in a really, really good spot. But I know people can't always um, pick their mentors, and they may not be able to be exposed to the things I was exposed to. So let's. how can we give back? How can we take the relationship that we built? Because we went from kind of employee-employee or mentor-mentee to best friends. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, and having a mentor that respect your growth as well and not want to suppress. And that would, that's what Ty did such a great job of. And so I said, hey, man, I'm going to write it from my perspective, and you, you know, input uh, your feedback and uh, your insight as a leader and how you got to meet, got me to where I needed to be and how you're continuing to develop me because, you know, we never get to that, that destination, right? It's an ongoing journey. It's always a moving target, and that's what keeps us, you know, motivated and moving forward. So I started writing um, as in the 2014 year, and um, a little bit of a somber moment. Um, I actually quit writing it initially because I didn't think it was good enough. So I took the manuscript and just ripped it up and I just said, hey, I'm not doing this. It's too hard. Um, but it just so happened that um, later that year, December, um, December 15th of 2014, my English teacher from high school that inspired me to write actually passed away tragically. And before that happened, I promised her that I was going to get that book done and have her help me edit it and all these different things. And I stopped and I um, essentially just kind of didn't honor my commitment to her. And so the way I could repay her or pay tribute to her is getting that book done, getting it finished, getting it printed. And the very first thing you see on the first or second page is a dedication to her and her her favorite poem, which is, Oh, Captain, My Captain. So, um, so yeah, that's what, that's what it kind of came down to. And sometimes, you know, circumstances or things happen that push you into your purpose or push you into destiny. Uh, we don't want these things to happen, you know, in order to force us to things that we probably should have been doing anyway, but sometimes it does that. And that, that could be the same thing with the, with the pandemic, right? <clears throat> People can't say they can, and they didn't have time, but I think it's also important to rest as well and not feel pressure to be working all the time, always be productive. So, uh, so yeah, that's how it came about. And, the goal was to uh, to serve and to enlighten and to uh, inform, and uh, hopefully it, it's done that. And so, yeah, that's what the uh, impetus was behind it. And uh, if people continue to uh, invest in it and I continue to hear great feedback. So um, it's just about now, like, how, how can we get better? You know, and that's where the piece came from, having the book as a kind of a theoretical piece and then end practicality now with the in-person uh, workshop. So it's just, it's just a blessing to be able to serve and be able to give back to people because that's what I want my life and legacy to be centered around is what I gave and not what I took, so. Yeah, well, I think you're off to a great start so far. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about the process of writing a book? I mean, from start to finish, obviously you sit down, you yeah. have an idea, you're, you're maybe storyboarding or brainstorming or whatever, and then at what point were obviously when you decided to go ahead and finish the manuscript and pay tribute to that teacher of yours, at what point is it like, okay, I'm going to take this to a publisher or kind of what are the steps in between there? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, so that's one of those things. So, uh, when I started writing it, 
uh, I would do some work on my you know computer at work, but I had my laptop at home, but I didn't really have I didn't have Microsoft Office on it. So I got a buddy of mine to put a pirated version of Microsoft Word on there for like 25 <laughs> bucks. And that's essentially where I finished my book because I couldn't afford Microsoft Office. It was like 180 bucks. I didn't have that. I was an intern. And so um, yeah, so I'd write at night and up into the mornings, even before I go to work and on my lunch break. And so the process itself, where I started it, I started with brainstorming. So I got I had at the time uh, my iPad and I wrote down about 40 or 50 different things that I wanted to cover. And they were the most random things, you know, how to network, how to build relationships, you know, how to be a great boss or a great leader or a great, uh, just great anything, anything I could think of. I just emptied my brain of everything I wanted to cover. And then once I got those 40 or 50 things out, I started developing themes. I said, okay, hey, point one, three, seven, and nine kind of go into one book. And you start uh, delimiting that, interpreting that, and forming those themes. And that turned into nine chapters from 40 or 50 different, you know, phrases or, or concepts that we wanted to cover. From that point, it was just, you know, continually just um, writing. And there'd be times where, you know, I'd, I'd be writing, I could write all day long. I'd just be going, I'd be in a state of flow. And then it could be two or three weeks where I just didn't feel it. I didn't touch it, you know. But sometimes you would feel pressured. You feel guilty, like, man, I should be writing. I should be getting this done. But anytime you're building something, you know, you have to take some pressure off yourself because oftentimes people are not even waiting on it because they only know it's coming. Right. And so I had to, I had to learn that. Um, but the process was in and of itself, once I got kind of the main script done, the editing, I um, worked with the publisher and Ty had a relationship with them, uh, Coach's Choice out of California. And they were very easy to work with. It was essentially very seamless. I know a lot of people self-publish, but through our AFCA contacts, we had their relationships. So that enabled us to uh, really kind of skip the line and um, get it done and uh, work with a designer from my church, actually a minister of mine. And uh, he was my graphic designer, designed the book cover for me. So it was just a matter of pulling resources from all different places because when you're when you're balling on a budget or no budget at all, you have to think about, okay, who do I know does graphic design? Who do I know that's good at editing? And my my uh, my cousin, she's actually has been an English, she was an English teacher for 35 years, uh, retired. So she did my editing, you know what I mean? So for free, you know, so I had to be very resourceful right. in that regard. And um, that's what I think, you know, builds that grit and that tenacity when you may not have all the resources or have the finances to do what you want to do, you just figure it out. And uh, that was essentially the process. So it was very smooth. And because I had a lot of, a lot of help, a lot of great people that were willing to uh, invest in it. I love that. I love that. I think for a lot of people, when you think of something as big a task as, oh, I'm going to write a book, you know, the instant fear is, well, I don't know how to, I'm not a graphic designer and I don't know any publishers and I don't know, I don't know how to edit and all these things. But so it, it's great to hear then, you know, when you scale it back and you're like, okay, this is not a problem. I'll reach out to, you know, my cousin who is an English teacher and oh, I'll reach out to my buddy who does this. And so being able to, again, the power of networking and the power of relationships and, and utilizing those. So that's, that is awesome. Um, what do you, what do you think? So you use the book and you, you do workshops, workshops that are based off of the content of the book. Yeah, in some cases, uh, some cases it can go it can go a different way. So uh, with the blueprint, it was all about you know building that mentor mentee relationship and understanding the land the land, uh, how to cultivate your career field, and then reaping the harvest from all your hard work. So um, that was kind of what that was built off of. But when it came to the executive image workshops. Um, it was all about how do I add practicality in terms of how do people present themselves? Because you, if, if you don't present yourself well, if you don't have a solid personal brand, if you don't understand the power of first impressions and, and relationships and your body language and what that says about you and how you dress and how you treat people, then you're not going to get in that door to even build your career. So I wanted to kind of add that 
that, I guess, that antecedent, I guess, to it in a way, say, hey, let me show you how to present yourself. Let me show you how to interview. Let me help you understand the rules of engagement because it's all about being authentic and being who you truly are. But we do have to understand there are rules of engagement. There are certain norms that we have in the workplace. And so I wanted to be able to communicate those um, standards. So um, when it came to executive image, it um, can build off the book, but it's not directly tied to. They're kind of mutually exclusive. But we focus on the uh, ABCs of professional presence, which are appearance, behavior, and communication skills. And that ultimately got built out to including digital etiquette and then your emotional intelligence as well. So that's uh, kind of what it turned into. It just uh, started off as like, hey, this is how you hold your hands, how you stand. And it went from there to teaching, you know, about emotional intelligence and, um, you know, handshakes, which we're not doing that anymore. So cutting right. that content out, <laughs> little, nice little pivot, right. nice little pivot, you know. But that's the thing. I heard uh, a good friend of mine, Coach uh, Darren K. Roberts, said, hey, pivot or perish. So uh, that's what I've been working on uh, now is adjusting the content and uh, being ready to um, further educate and teach people about the about personal branding as it relates to NIL monetization for student athletes. And um, yeah, so that's what the pivot is. And um, recently just built out a new workshop that teaches people how to form their own businesses or LLCs. Because again, I couldn't afford it, I had to do it myself, couldn't afford legal Zoom. So I had to talk to some people, reach out to some folks, um, read a lot of articles and found out that it was easier to form a business or file LLC than it is to fill out your password for college. Wow. And it's and in most cases cheaper than a pair of Jordans. So that's my pitch, you know. So, um, but it's, it's really about it. It's really about empowerment because I know um, a lot of student athletes or people that are early in their careers may be cash strapped, especially with everything going on right now. And so, how can I teach you how to do it yourself? You know, the whole DIY movement, and that's what I'm all about is teaching tactical, useful um, concepts and and and. Uh, things that people can actually use and put into practice. And uh, that's what it's uh, grown into. So I'm very thankful um, to just the various people around the country and sports business that have allowed me to support their student athletes because one thing I like to, to um, keep remain mindful of, if you don't have support, you don't have a platform. You know, a platform is built upon the pillars. It's, 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 it's sustained and it, it, it's able to be stable by the people, the things that's holding us up. And there are people all across the country, I won't start naming names, that have been holding me up because if they didn't give me an opportunity to uh, work with them, then I wouldn't have um, anything to talk about essentially. So um, I, I guess I wanna make sure um, I shout out everybody in sports business that are really in it for the, the right reasons and are committed to developing student athletes. And uh, thank you for uh, letting me uh, work with them. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. during this time, obviously, during COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're in right now, there's no physical workshops that are happening. We're not doing handshakes. Um, and so what does what does it look like for you right now trying to still have that same impact and trying to still, you know, get in front of student athletes and, and kind of deliver your message and have the, the impact that you want to have? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm gonna give you a virtual like kind of air air bump right here, air fist bump. You know, that's what's gonna, yeah. That's that's the thing is, um, it's been a lot of um, staying in touch, you know, and staying top of mind. Now, one thing I like to do is to reach out to people, especially when I don't want anything. To say, hey, it's Tuesday, it's Thursday, it's whatever. Just want to say hello. Hope your family's doing well, and that keeps you top of mind. And from a personal branding standpoint, um, I have um, had a great opportunity to work with people that you know do. Um, great graphics for me and I try to share content that's relative to what I like to what I like to, to share on and also thinking about okay what do people need right now what are they looking for because Steve Jobs once said that people don't know what they want until we show them 
And so people may not be thinking about, hey, how to form a business or anything for student athletes, but that's going to be very important because uh, Uncle Sam doesn't care if you're a student athlete or not. If you get paid, Uncle Sam wants his money, he wants his taxes, and I don't want student athletes to get into tax trouble. And so I think it's been um, a time of just reaching out to say, hey, how can I help? How can I add value? And, um, oh, yeah, you don't, you don't have the budget for it. That's fine because I got into it for impact and not, and not income. And I think that's what gets lost sometimes because um, if, you, if you care about it, if you love it enough, you'll do it anytime, anywhere, any place. So if someone said, hey, I need you to do this uh, executive uh, president's presentation under a bridge, like, hey, let's do it, you know, because if you, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So um, doing the virtual thing has, uh, has been fun. It's been a, a unique and welcome challenge. But I think ultimately when uh, we're able to get back in person, it's going to make me more impactful and better in person. So I'm just taking it in stride and seeing how it can uh, continually improve. But uh, we had an opportunity to work with uh, Texas football, um, Florida football, and, and University of Miami. And uh, again, great leadership. At all, at all those places and um, student athletes are really going to be well prepared. So the, sun, the Sunshine State has been showing so much love. I don't know what's in the water down there. Uh, <laughs> so y'all continue to be just uh, just great people. And um, and that's that's the first and foremost thing that I'd like to, um, I'd like to focus on. It, are they great people? And if they're great people, everything else flows from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I noticed Twitter profile says in the biz of personal branding. Yeah. And I want to know, I want to know exactly what that means. Obviously, we've talked, you know, about the ABCDE yeah. of, yeah. of personal yeah. branding, things like that. But what exactly does uh, being in the business of personal branding, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's just one of those things where, you know, your personal brand is what's going to, you know, shape you. And I like to use the, the kind of phrase here that your, your personal brand is going to precede you, position you and protect you. Because who you are, what you're all about, is going to precede you before you enter that room. You know, people are going to be looking you up, calling about you, Googling you, all the different things. So it's going to precede you. Uh, secondly, it's going to position you. You know, when you have a, a great, um, a, a great brand or a great, um, a great. I guess a great platform. People know what you're about and know that you're um, you're solid in what you do and you care about what you do and you're um, you're a great professional. You operate at a high level. That's going to open some doors for you or bring you or bring you favor that you may not even qualify for. Get you some jobs and opportunities you may not even have the skills for. So that's a, that's a great way to position you. And then third, it's going to protect you because if people know what you stand for, if they know what your non-negotiables are, if they know how you're going to show up every single day, then they're not going to bring you things like negativity and gossip and things like that because they know that's outside your scope or or the realm that you operate in that of your comfort level because they know how how you are so you know personal branding is just that it's, it's personal it's authentic and it's, it's it's about consistency it's about frequency and the, the thing about it is you know um there's no such thing as having necessarily a bad personal brand so to speak now if you're just out you know being mean to people that's just bad you know <laughs> but generally speaking you know we all have different interests you know people are like hunting or fishing or music and if that's what you like that's what you have to be about every single day. And that's going to bring people to you that are interested in those same spaces. And so that's why I tell people, look, if you like comic books, if you like, you know, space travel, whatever it is, be that guy, be that girl. And the people that are interested in you, they're going to come find you. They're going to, they're going to be there to support you. The brands that want to monetize with you and, and sponsor and endorse you, they're going to come find you through consistency. And that's helped me get a job. You know, honestly, I didn't get my first um, shot when I first applied for a job um, at the CFP. I didn't get that. But 10 months later, the, uh, your boss now, Michael Kelly, he uh, actually, after we first interviewed and, and the, the, they went a different direction at the time, he started following me on Twitter and he didn't like, retweet, share, didn't do anything for 10 months. And they reached out May 3rd, 2017 and said, hey, I've been watching you, 
It's like, okay. And you know, long story short, the rest is history. But that's how we operate. He said, look, I've seen what you put out. I've seen how you presented yourself. I've seen the consistency in what you do. I think we got a spot for you. So that's what that you know kind of uh, turned into. And that was strictly using social media. And then we hadn't talked in those 10 months at all, hadn't connected. And so I'm a big believer in you know, um, you know how you use your social media platform, how you brand yourself and what you care about is um, gonna put you in, in position. It's gonna bring you great favor in your life and great favor with people. And um, that's why I think it's so important. Not from the standpoint of what you can earn off of it, but the relationships you'll build because you're passionate about it and you're going to attract a circle or a tribe of people that are passionate about the same things you are. And there's nothing like, you know, having a community of supportive individuals. Right. A hundred percent. I think during this time too, where you can't be, you know, face to face and you can't be in person and, and having people, mm-hmm. you know, kind of check out what your vibe is or see who you are as a person. It's super important to have some kind of a presence on social media, especially, especially for those kids who are now graduating and heading out into he- and trying to get yeah. jobs in this environment. So what would you say is the most important uh, personal branding piece of social media or, or advice yeah. for social media? Yeah, I would say consistency across the board, you know, whether you're on Instagram, Twitter, you know, having, having, you know, your, your profiles open where people can find you, they don't want to think you're hiding anything, Uh, making sure your name and your brand is consistent, you know, from a handle standpoint across those platforms. Uh, Also making sure that your profile picture exudes, you know, what you are and what you are about, what you want to communicate, because first impressions are formed within the first four to seven seconds. And everyone sees life through a different lens. So you may want, you may feel a certain way or think you are, or giving off a certain vibe or image, but someone may see that completely differently. So again, understanding the rules of engagement and making sure you're smiling and have a, uh, or if you're not a smiler, just having a kind of that Mona Lisa grin, you know what I mean? So people see that you're a happy person because ultimately when it comes down to is a likability factor. Do people want to be around you? You know, if I got stuck in an airport with you, you know, uh, my plane got delayed three hours, would I go across the room? Would I go across the, the terminal, right? You know what I mean? Uh, so the biggest things I would say is um, making sure that once you post, and what you share is is reflective of who you are and being well-rounded. You know, you want to uh, make sure that what they pick up and what they read, they can get a feel for you and what you're all about. Because, you know, you can um, you can be a uh, thermostat or you can be a thermometer. You know, you can you can you can set the temperature or you can regulate the temperature, you know, or you can or you can react to it rather. You can set the temperature or you can react to the temperature that's been set for you. Right. So that's why I think the, the key the key is there. Set the temperature before you um, walk into that virtual interview in your living room, and also when you're giving these and when you're involved in these virtual interviews and phone conversations, I like you know I like to tell people dress head to toe, dress as if you would be in person because there is a psychological you know something that I'm not smart to talk about that um, it, it releases some some things in your brain to make you just feel, you know, up and confident and ready to go and ready to um, get it done. So yeah, profile pictures, making sure everything is, um, is solid and um, in good standing with what you share and, um, you know, getting dressed, you know, paid to toe and, uh, and, and then just being, being human, you know, sharing your failures, sharing your vulnerabilities, things that um, you've overcame because everyone wants to see, okay, how are you going to react when and, and struggle comes or an issue comes? How are you going to respond to that? And uh, so being able to share that and be vulnerable, I think is the humanizing factor um, that really helps people and helps people get beyond the surface. We all come in kind of stiff, like, yeah, yeah, this and that. But tell me about what you're really about. Tell me about your family. So being able to have that conversation and being human is going to be um, very critical to set you apart in this landscape and environment. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that is. I'm gonna take some of those tips you just gave and and go back and look at my own stuff right now. <laughs> um, 
So one one thing I want to ask, and we've kind of typically we've been wrapping up by me asking what advice would you have, and I think you provided a lot of that. So I'm going to let you do that as well. But I also want to ask, and and really nobody can truly answer this question, but what does the future hold for you? So what's I mean, you've written a book, you've worked at a ton of cool places. What is kind of the the next big thing that you're thinking about? Wow. Yes. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Laid it on me. Laid it on heavy there. Uh, no, I would say um, my advice to young professionals is to, or to anyone, is to seek first to understand and be understood. You know, in this climate, in this landscape, we all have a lot of different views. But what's happening now is we're all going to be speaking a common language. You know, we can all think back to these milestones, or I guess not these milestones, but watershed moments that happened, or moments in time for our generation. You know, we all knew where we were when we heard when Kobe Bryant passed away, you know? Um, and for some people, you knew where you were when 9-11 happened. You know, people listening may not have been born then, but right, there's, there, are, there are different events that happen in all of our lives that really speak a common language. And this, for most people, uh, especially probably listening, this, they've never lived through anything like this, right? People that may not have been alive back during the Spanish flu in 1918, I would, I would not imagine. But I, I would not put it past you for your podcast to reach those people too, you know? That's what we're going, that's what we're going to gun for. But seek first to understand and be understood. And understand that people are dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and, and sometimes some doubt. So if you encounter someone or if you have um, conversations with people and they don't seem to be the best, they'll have empathy, you know, understand what they may be dealing with. And, and really just trying to get to the core of who they are, you know, besides the business, besides the just um, the work stuff, you know, really get to the core of who people are because what people are going to remember or who they're going to remember is who they connected with, who they built relationships with during this pandemic, you know, who checked in on them. So seek first to understand and then be understood. We all have different views, whether it be, you know, political, what have you, but we can all understand, we can all agree on that, you know, sports is something that unites a lot of people, right? And this, this pandemic has really just, you know, made everybody pause. So understand the common language that we all speak um, and that we all smile in the same language and we have a lot more in common than we, um, than we don't have, than we have opposite. So seek first to understand, then be understood. And I guess what's next for me, um, yeah, I think just more education, uh, continuing to learn and try to be on the cutting edge of what's coming and how I can be a better educator and better, um, better service um, to the student athletes I work with. So anytime someone gives you that time and their attention, I, I take a lot of pride in that. And I want to make sure that time is not wasted. And if I haven't been reading up on the latest, you know, articles and things like that, if I just think, hey, what I created three years ago is going to sustain and be impactful here in 2020, then I'm doing a disservice to the people that I'm working with. So it's, it's getting smarter and, um, you know, taking this by the horns, um, you know, probably, you know, looking to do this, you know, um, you know full time and um, getting involved in some other endeavors and um, continuing to serve and have an impact. But um, more importantly, um, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is um, well received, is authentic, is genuine, and uh, people know that I uh, truly care. But I'm excited about the future. The future is uh, is now. You know what I mean? You know, five minutes ago, we're talking about, you know, the five minutes ago was the past and the minute from now is the future, right? So we're constantly living in the future. You know, we're constantly um, moving forward. But I think it's important to be present in the moment because what you do in the present is going to affect your future. And um, don't allow... Um, I don't wait for something bad to happen to push you into action. If you have a dream, if you have a goal, if you have something you want to accomplish and you're doing it for the benefit of other people that's going to improve someone else's life, then you need to go ahead and do that. And that's what I have to remind myself of because I actually have a fear of public speaking, um, a, ser a serious fear of it. But every time before I speak to any audience, virtual or in person, I always remember and said, hey, 
is not about you. Because being nervous is not a bad thing. Being nervous just means you care. But if you get to a point where you can't perform, then you're being selfish because you've now turned all the attention to you and what they're thinking about you as opposed to what you can give. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned about, you know, working and, uh, you know, presenting publicly. It's not about me. It's about what I can give because people are spending their time and their effort. And um, that's what I really want to um, make sure that um, I get across and share it every single time that it's a genuine care because I had so much help and I almost feel as though um, I have to give back because I had so many people that supported me in my career. And I know so many people don't have those mentors or that or those great people in their life that can expose them to all the, the wonders of life and what they can accomplish. And that's what I think is probably a detriment to a lot of student athletes because they've been shown one way, hey, do it this way. But uh, you don't know, you may not know that you like playing the ukulele or, or going fishing if no one's ever exposed you to that. So if I can expose people to a different aspect of life to get them to see themselves in a different way, the way that our Lord sees them or, you know, um, that's that's then that's a day well served is a day well served that's what i'll say to that i love it i love it that is all fantastic stuff and i think definitely uh adds to the five-star rating we'll just keep that going straight <laughs> from here Absolutely. <laughs> that's all great stuff well will thank you so much for for joining me today um i'm excited to to be able to share this with everybody this was great stuff Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for walking in your purpose. Because again, without you uh, being who you are and uh, building this platform, then I would have nothing to share. So thank you for walking in truth and being willing to hear my story. And I uh, wish you very well. I appreciate that. I'm going to flip it back on you and say without okay. great people like you in the world doing what you're doing, that I would have nobody to interview on this platform. So <laughs> mutually, mutually beneficial. <laughs> or even the virtual white flag. I'm done. <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. Oh, man. All right, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Taylor. Take care. All right. You too. Stay tuned for the recap of this episode with my sidekick, Melissa Lutz. I can hear clearly now my headphones in. <laughs> ah, good times. Uh, how the heck are you, Taylor? I am, I'm feeling very regal. And I don't know if that's a word you would use to describe me, but I'm going to blame it solely on the bookshelves behind me. You look as though you're surrounded by rich mahogany and should be wearing <laughs> some sort of velvet or velour robe. That? Smoking a pipe. Yeah. There probably is a corncob pipe around here somewhere. You know, I also have to say that one of the books on this shelf um, is called Have a New Kid by Friday, which is, these are my mom. That's how the human body works. <laughs> well, these are my mom's books. And so I think it's like a, a self-help, like have a new, like your kid is a brat. Have a new kid by Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that for you? I know. Now I'm wondering if my brother and I were very badly behaved, if that's what prompted that purchase. Oh, Right, right. Um, you've been on a camping trip, and I would love to know how it was now that I know that you are safe and okay. that, you didn't, <laughs> that you did not pull a Melissa, which was my fear when I couldn't get a hold of you for a few hours. For people listening, pulling a Melissa can range anywhere from 
tripping and falling and injuring myself, getting lost in the woods, dropping my cell phone in a toilet or a body of water. Um, really, the possibilities are endless and Taylor was right to be concerned. However, I came out unscathed and um, just a little tired. We did a real long hike yesterday and my body hurts a little bit. It looked, I mean, the weather looked lovely. The sun was out and, and, uh, and all of that. Yeah, it was like high 80s, beautiful. We hiked to a waterfall, ate lunch there, and then hiked back. It was a wonderful day. Wow. Yeah. Good times. Um, Will Baggett. Will Baggett. What a name, first of all. I know. All. Yes. And, and the name fits with all of the wisdom that he dropped. I mean, that was, that was a fun one to be a part of. I literally had to thought mid-interview. I was like, I don't know if this man has ever experienced an awkward silence in his lifetime because I think his brain is like, it works so fast and has so much like good, insightful nuggets of wisdom that he just like could talk forever and never have a moment of silence. Whereas I find myself like, I run out of thoughts after a couple sentences and I'm like... (laughs) Right. Let me take a brief pause to reset my cylinders. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He, I mean, gosh, so many, so many insightful things in there. And I, um, I thought that you would especially appreciate, um, the skill he mentioned of, uh, snack procurement that he had to add that when he was, uh, I can't remember if it was the peach bowl or if it was another thing that he worked with, but that was one of his, uh, responsibilities. He said you can add snack procurement or, or the snack coordinator is what he referred to himself by. It's a great skill. That's a great friend to have. I'm also pretty savvy at procuring snacks. You are. And speaking of procuring snacks, I would love it if you could share um, the dessert that you set aside for yourself, which you mentioned to me earlier. Um, this is like what being an adult is, it's a little sad, but my dessert every day that I look forward to is the many gummy vitamins that I've purchased for myself because they are healthy and delightful to the taste buds. Are you still doing the juice cleanse? No, that was like a four day thing with okay. some intermittent tacos and other things. <laughs> ah, well, that's the best kind of juice cleanse. It's about balance, you know? You have to reward yourself for making it through most of the day just on juice. That's right. With some tacos and other things. Um, But let's talk about you, Taylor, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about Will. Let's talk about Will. Let's talk about Will. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I found to be particularly interesting was that he, it was kind of this, you know, um, this idea of, the kind of the, like the fear of getting started, which I think we might've talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so then he found out that to file an LLC was a, a super easy. And I think he said cheaper than a pair of Jordans, which I think is interesting. I, I would probably feel the same way as far as LLCs go. It's like, you know, you would think you have to have a lawyer and, and I don't even know what else. No, it's kind of crazy. And I think this is a pretty common thing with, anyone who has like a dream and doesn't know where to get started and doesn't think they have the right resources. Like it's easy to get caught up in the things that you don't know how to do and let that hinder you from actually like making progress and move forward. But 
what I respect about him is like he figured everything he needed to out. He filed for an LLC. He got his cousin to be an editor. Like you get a little scrappy and you get creative when you like have a dream and um, need to come up with solutions. Um, and I think that's really good advice for anyone out there who's like, I can't do it because I don't know how to even start a business. It's right. Like, you have the tools. Like I've said in my interview, like Google was my savior. I just Googled everything and you can figure it out. Right. I think there's a lot of, I mean, just with the internet in general. Uh, so Google, again, if you want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> but I think and it is. Vitamins. And also gummy vitamins if you'd like to sponsor the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, but I think that's, I think that's accurate. You know, I mean, as far as not knowing how to do something, or even if it's a skill that you don't have for him to go out and, and work his network and find somebody who is a graphic designer, find somebody who is an editor, find, you know, all these different kind of people. It's really, it's just like, you have to look through, instead of looking at it as like, well, I can't do this. I don't know anybody who does that. You have to kind of look at it through an abstract lens and, and kind of start thinking about outside the box, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Um, another two very exciting things that I want to touch on, which came from last week's episode with Dr. Ashleisha Lokande. Number one, her mention of Glennon Doyle and our tag of Glennon Doyle got two of our tweets liked by Glennon Doyle, which was very exciting. Yes. Yes, very, very exciting. And the other very exciting thing, and I have to pull this up because I want to read, I want to read it verbatim. Um, we got our very first review on <gasps> Apple Podcasts. Yes, yes. Tell now, we've got 13 five-star ratings, and we, we love those. So please, if you're listening, go, go and just, you know, keep those coming. We're not fishing um, for compliments, but if we were. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, no. <laughs> now, Joe from CJSE, and that's all one word, and Joe says, inspirational. After listening, it makes you want to go bring some good to the world. Wow, Joe. Yeah. How kind of you. We I should get Joe that. on here. We should get Joe. Shout out to Joe. Joe, you the bomb. Joe is the bomb. I felt um, reading that a little bit like that Kristen Wiig skit where she, gosh, I'm totally blanking on the, oh, Mindy Elise Grayson when she plays that character and she's describing one of the plays that she was in and she's <laughs> an audience member says, how long is this? <laughs> <laughs> And for those of you out there thinking that, you can keep those to yourselves. <laughs> right. If you, well, if you have the question, how long is this? You know, you can see that in, in Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening to your podcast. The timestamp is there. Yes. Like, Will, use your resources. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. Kristen Wig, love that lady. She's a fantastic lady. Let's tag her on uh, this one. See if I think, get her to like it. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I think that's definitely a good call. Also, I just want to say I'm hyper aware now. Um, right before Taylor and I started recording this, her mother chimed in and said that um, 
it's weird listening to the recaps because she's not used to hearing me be serious. And so now I think I've got this in my head where I'm like, be weirder. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, what she said was that it's so fun to listen to you on the podcast because you're so serious. But when I paraphrased, I said that she thought it was weird, but she corrected Uh, herself. (laughs) Okay, okay. So she was pleasantly surprised that I have um, worthwhile thoughts in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just one of those things, you know, where it's like you see, um, I I don't know, like you see your kids being your kids. And then when you see them do something in a professional realm or like something grown up, you're like, wow, look at that kid. Go get him, tiger. (laughs) I am very proud. (laughs) Uh, well, shout out to Kath Onion. She's a great lady. She is a great lady. She definitely raised is. two lovely children. Maybe thanks to a book on that bookshelf behind you. <laughs> thanks to Have a New Kid by Friday. I'm going to look <laughs> up who wrote that. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, on that note, shall we, shall we try and sync up again like we did last week? Uh, yeah. A one. A three. A two. A three, two, one. <laughs> and I'm that. <laughs> yes. <yeah, yeah. laughs> and that's the way the onion peels. Nailed it. <laughs>